0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. The Human Experience is live. Thank you so much for being here. We've got a phenomenal show planned for you guys tonight. If you're looking for everywhere we are live and our full network, all of our links, if you have not joined the mailing list yet, or if you would like to support the show, which we always appreciate, of course, just go to allmylinks.com slash thehumanxp. Tonight... We are going to be talking about medicinal mycology, mushrooms. We're going to be discussing various aspects of the Kundalini awakening process. Before we start the show, though, just want to take a moment to thank the team behind the scenes that helped me stay glued together, to be honest. Paula, Tripped, Andrew, Casey, Summer, DreamHowl, Angel. Thank you guys so very much. I appreciate each and every one of you so, so much. Not sure where I would be without you guys. With that aside, please sit back, grab a drink, and enjoy this conversation. The human experience in the session. My name is Xavier Katana. My guest for tonight is Mr. Clinton Ginn. Clint is an entrepreneur, mushroom farmer, and mycology lab tech. He is the director of a commercial spawn and research laboratory. Clint acquired his degree in psychology from Arizona State University, and he worked as a counselor with at-risk youth, which after six years convinced him of the futility of the current paradigm of mental health care. He went on to become a medicinal mycologist in 2009 and has spent more than 10 years, using what he learned to remedy some of the pain he witnessed in the mental health fields. Clint, it's a pleasure. Welcome to HXP.
1: Hi, Xavier. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, Clint, I mean, you've got some really amazing, you've got an amazing story and an amazing beard, which I've got on the screen that people can see. Um, (laughs) Let's, I mean, the world seems like it's in complete chaos right now, but let's, let's talk a little bit about your history, how you got to where you are, um, your experience with psychology and, you know, what was the turning point for you that turned the corner and how did you get into medicinal mycology specifically, please? So
1: my entire life uh, coming up as a teenager and going into university was bent on how can I help? How can I serve? And uh, through a circumstances of um, different entheop- um plants and uh, my experiences working in the mental health field, I eventually came to medicinal mycology at the age of essentially 28. So there's a whole 10 years before that of how I got to become uh, so dedicated to um, psychedelic medicine and the mushrooms in general.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what what were some of the things that you were seeing in the mental health field with Western medicine where you felt like, okay, this is this is wrong? You know, what where did you how did you feel? You know, how did you start to perceive that with the work that you were doing, the people that you were working with? Who were you? You were working with kids, right? Yeah, so I I ended
1: up working with um, the younger set of kids generally, um, just naturally having a um, general gentle way about me. So I was working with um, children, young boys, at uh, the age of six, and a lot of these people, uh, young men, came from ho- horrible, traumatic homes and experiences. And I realized that a lot of what we were do- doing was warehousing and um, feeding, you know, pharmaceuticals in a maintenance level thing. And there's a lot of compassion in that, and that, but it, that does take a toll on you because you want to be making you know, the world a better place, you want to be making a difference in people's lives. But you find that what the situation is in the current paradigm is really just a a warehousing and an institutionalization of these young souls.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's something about Western medicine that is so robotic. And, you know, it, it, it seems like what Western medicine seeks to do is treat symptoms. They're not looking at the root causes of what is causing mental illness or and or any of this dysfunction you know it's about sort of treating the symptoms and you know band-aiding it as much as possible and then just sending you on your way until next month
1: right so fundamentally we're working on a cognitive behavioral therapy program where you know it's a five-star program it's the it's the old as you can imagine, you get so many stars for doing X task and you get, you know, an A and you get, you know, so many goodie points. But what you're talking about when it comes to an actual human being is their emotional well-being and their, their experience of life. And I found that pharmaceutical route and the cognitive behavioral therapy route in the sense of how it's being uh, implemented in these institutional grade halfway houses or what what have you for these children. It's just, it's uh, lacking. And it's really not something to say that it's not given that the people that work there aren't, don't have hearts of gold and that the the finest effort is being made. But me personally needed to look for something more. And The um, emotional trauma, and how do you heal that, and how do you go back into that, that's something that isn't inside the paradigm of Western medicine. That's where you look into entheobotany and entheogens and essentially the psilocybin mushroom to find how can we go into an experience that allows you to explore these things from a different perspective and potentially have some really breakthrough healing. And that's what's really been driving me over the last 10 years.
0: All right. I love that. I love that segue. Let's get into that. Let's let's get into mushrooms. Okay. So you know, psilocybin is, you know, I've heard it being used in microdosing quite a bit, and there are some breakthrough studies. I mean, I know that it creates something called neurogenesis in the brain. So uh, let's, t- let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, um, why did you pick psilocybin and mushrooms specifically? Why not? ayahuasca when on DMT when on something else
1: well the beauty of psilocybin is that it is uh, a very low-cost option and very amenable to an average person growing their own medicine it doesn't emit, require an admixture it doesn't require a laboratory also it's very healing and natural um, the compound psilocybin and the way that it breaks down in the body is very much uh, close to the actual human biochemistry so it's not something in the realm of a research chemical or a pharmaceutical it's actually something that's just quite natural and easy so it lends itself fairly easily to these type of applications now the mental health aspect or the different things these are a little bit more deeper context that we can go into Hmm.
0: okay okay so let's say you know let's say that i come to you and i say hey clint you know, I'm I feel like I'd like to explore this as a, an avenue that I want to go down as far as um, using psychedelics, using mush, psychedelic mushrooms to help me cope with a trauma that that I've had in my life. where to, where would we go from that point?
1: Well, um right now, uh, these substances are all Schedule One and prohibited through the War on Drugs. Um, but I do work for as a Chief Operating Officer for a nonprofit called Pledge, which does provide sponsorship to people, for people to attend legal and safe, and supportive retreats where they can do psilocybin-assisted therapy. So that's a good place to start is pledge.org. Um, and what I would recommend is that if you are very much committed to doing the healing, because you can't save a drowning person, regardless of the addiction or the trauma or what have you, a mm-hmm. person has to personally hit their own rock bottom, and admit that they want to do the work to do that. And like, that's the thing that I. Um, is the issue with all treatments and with all mental health applications be they pharmaceutical um, talk therapy psilocybin what have you is that the willingness of the participant to get better and to do their own journey of healing is absolutely paramount so if you did come to me and you were consistent and and really wanting to see this through because it is not the easiest way to go about it I think that the, the, the limiting limitation filter on psilocybin assisted therapy is people's willingness to actually doing the work beyond that if you are willing to come in and do the work the trauma was so bad the pain was so affronting the depression the anxiety it was hitting you at such a hard point then i would absolutely um, recommend you to several of the retreats that we work with worldwide where we can help you get into the place where you need to be to have a supportive set and setting with the right organic mushroom type material um, for you to, to, you know, have the experience and potentially have some breakthrough insights.
0: Hmm, Okay. And, you know, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Um, I think it's important to be at a certain point where you're willing to do the work. I mean, there's no magic pill or magic bullet or magic mushroom, (laughs) (laughs) that will, you know, automatically fix things for you, you know, in your brain, you have to be willing to sort of go to the gym and lift the weights, you know, in your mind. And so, you know, but, but I, you know, how do we, how do we start to understand the grips of trauma? I mean, what is the mushroom doing that traditional psychology, that traditional medicine, Western medicine, where is it failing that the mushroom is succeeding?
1: Um, The how is beyond me, um, but the what it is and um, how it works in the sense of how you experience it. Um, The human mind, the human psyche has an ability to bury trauma. We all know this and accept this. This is like essentially a scientific psychological fact that um, a certain level of trauma becomes too much for the organism to maintain in their conscious awareness so it's suppressed into the subconscious Mm -hmm. now what happens in a psilocybin assisted therapy session where the psilocybin activates the 5ht2a 5ht2a receptors and starts to really activate that prefrontal cortex essentially taking psilocybin is a lot like turning up the volume on your your mental device from about 75 to about 95 98 i'm not going to say it's 100 because that would be essentially approaching infinity but it, it takes you to a point of maximum awareness and a lot of times if if the set and setting and the context and the intention is to a- approach that awareness into your own personal evolution of who you are and why you are sitting where you are emotionally or addictively or life circumstance, the ability of the mind to experience and remember and um, the perspective change that that allows, um, it's kind of like viewing your life from a hundred feet up or a thousand feet up from an air balloon and saying, there's a level of things that I hadn't seen before. And so uh, oftentimes people have um, traumatic memories that you know they've repressed, that they come back up, and then they're able to look at them. At the same time, that same perspective allows you to look at the perpetrator or the situation or whatever you're in and realize that that was also those people working on that same level. So it has this wonderful ability of giving you the perspective to say, There's not so much blame and anger there either. There's just a situation that happened, and there's the healing that needs to happen in response. And that's the next stage of it, when you come out of the therapy, when you're done with the afterglow, because psilocybin and the psychedelics are one of the most potent anti-inflammatories known to science. So a lot of the afterglow, a lot of the positive effects that are experienced and the realms of depression and mood altering things are the anti-inflammatory compounds. So if you imagine your inflammation response being brought down to close to zero, Mm -hmm. the feelings are uh, amazing, particularly for older individuals like myself. I mean, I'm not too old, I'm 40, but I do deal with chronic inflammatory conditions. And so the feeling of being, 1415 physically in that afterglow well that feels wonderful but that does fade and so what then is left is the psychological care is the mental health aspect is what we call integration psychedelic integration
0: Mm, okay that's that's fascinating so it so there's a process of uh, making the experience somewhat neutral in the mind but also there is an aspect of kind of opening a closet door where we've buried our trauma and then turning on the light and maybe taking out one piece of trauma at a time so that you can look at it from you know 360 degrees 100 feet up and you're examining it in a way that you know is is a way that you can process more clearly better in a higher perspective maybe so that you're not Taking on this victim role, you know, this happened to me and you know, poor me kind of thing
1: Sure, um, you know therapies like the MAPS uh, Protocol and the MDMA do a really good strong response on the amygdala to remove fear response for particularly things like PTSD But I feel and it's been my experience that also um, psilocybin and, and these other hallucinogens, ayahuasca, LSD, you name it, these classic ones, um, can also be effective in similar roles as far as getting different perspective, getting a higher perspective. Um, so, yeah.
0: Okay. So, th- I mean, there's there's five that I know about on the planet that are capable of, of neurogenesis and amongst other things that happen within the synapses in the brain. Um, there's, there's ayahuasca, LSD, iboga, psilocybin. I'm not sure if I'm missing. DMT, ayahuasca, I mean... Pretty much the same thing. I'm not sure if I'm missing one in there somewhere. But I mean, there's only a few of these compounds that exist on the planet. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, you, you've probably heard of this before, but in the 1990s, uh, you know, there was this campaign, to just say no to drugs. I mean, as you know, the war on drugs, abject failure. And uh, there was these scientists, these neuroscientists, started pitching this idea of the brain being this static that once you eliminated, you know, these brain cells, uh, gray matter, whatever, once you killed these neurotransmitters, they would never grow back. You know, it was very scary phenomena. There is, I don't know if you remember the commercials, like there they, they had this chick with the cooking eggs and she's like slamming the oven. I don't know if you remember that.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, I had police officers in my classroom, you know, um, with the D.A.R.E. program and all of that scaring right. us, you know, wearing their full gear with, you know, weapons. And it's very intimidating and it's it's very inappropriate to have an armed officer in your classroom, I don't care what the context is, but yes, absolutely, Um, the complete opposite is actually true in that psilocybin mushrooms plus these other compounds, ayahuasca, not to denigrate or take away from any of them, but particularly psilocybin because it is so natural and goes through the system in such a clear way. It's very similar to DMT and, and ayahuasca is also a diet. Methyltryptamine, you know carrying the thing so it does stimulate neurogenesis um, and then there is the stemet stack which is mm. a you know a catchphrase that is catched on because heresium uh, and these lion's mane type mushrooms also have these nerve growth factors so you can do certain um, mushroom stacks and adaptogens to actually stimulate neurogenesis, which is growing of your brain and and the different nerve cells and this is treating things even into um, things like MS and people that are having nerve growth problems throughout their entire body. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, this is absolutely a revelation that has happened in the, in the last couple of years and and thank God for it. so I tip my hat to all of the institutions that have been doing the work at uh, John Hopkins NYU you know, UCLA at agnosium. Yeah. Uh, because they have definitely shown us unequivocally with functional MRIs and what have you, that, to the general population that yes, this does work. These things that people have been talking about um, in the realms of creativity, in the realms of um, microdosing, and you know, creativity and business ideas, like in the realms of like Apple and Jobs and Silicon Valley. Now we have the scientific fact and protocol to back that up, and so. It's on the onus of the producers of these um, materials, these things, to produce a good product, and so we're just getting into that. We're just exploring that space right now as we speak.
0: Yeah, I mean, this this has become sort of an echo chamber uh, on this show, is because I believe so much in psychedelic medicine that you know I bring on guest after guest that preaches this at this point and you know we've had rick doblin on the show rick strassman we've had all these people on the show and um you know rick has as you know i mean he's got a really fascinating story where uh he was down at new college in florida and he said regardless of you know what the law says or regardless of what happens to us we are going to do this work we're going to make sure that, that this work happens and that humanity has access to this so you know in my per- own personal belief i feel that um you know psychedelics are not for everyone i mean i don't think any everyone should just be doing it and going out and looking for this as a cure all as i said and you know let's i think we should clarify this i think that it, you know i think the correct setting, having uh, you know, a licensed therapist with you is so crucial to this process. Being in the right setting and ar- around the right people that know how to hold that space for you is is so important.
1: Yes, um, that's been one of the most beautiful revelations that's happened in the last, I'd say, really only the last two, three years has been the focus on having someone there with you, um, who's either experienced or has the right ability to deal with the situation and absolutely experience is, is a prerequisite. So the thing that I work on, um, is on the people's aspect, the people's healing movement. Um, I I call it the right to heal movement. I say when we're talking about plant medicines, be they fungal or ayahuasca or what have you, These are natural compounds that the earth has freely provided. For the legal structure to have put them in the category of verboten and prohibited is absolutely insane. So the decriminalized nature movement is something that I am a thousand percent behind. The decriminalized Denver situation really was a nuclear explosion that, round resounded throughout the universe um, it was such a massive breakthrough so my hats are off to all of the people involved with that and they are building upon that but we can come back to that the issue is that these things are natural and something that um as terence mckenna would say are something that has been in our diet for as long as humans have been on this planet yeah. and it's re- and It's something that uh, really when you talk into microdosing, when you talk into the psychedelic experience of going deeper, and as we know as being experienced, there are different levels of how you can use this. So the lab coat medicalization model of psychedelic therapy is absolutely beautiful and warranted, and they are paving the road for the regular human common person to have access but what i and others are very much considered you know concerned with is the ability for people to have low cost access to you know it, i'm not going to name prices or get into it but essentially what we're talking about is a generational healing that is a potential and that that has ripple effects that can go beyond what we could even imagine. So if you look at the generational trauma, you know, Gary Mate, um, yeah. who I believe you've had on your it's show,
0: n- numerous times, yeah,
1: has been wonderfully expounding the, the, the relationships of emotional trauma, and that how that compounds generationally and transforms into addictions and maladaptive behaviors. And so what we have to do, I, I strongly believe is allow people to get into the emotional trauma healing space. And the only way to do that, that I've experienced, and I've been doing this for 20 years, I've been looking, I've been searching, I've been doing what I can, is through the Entheogens. And it's right there. It's right there and it's free. Nature provides it lovingly and beautifully. It does need to be curated. Uh, As much as I am for people having open access and living their lives and going to festivals and enjoying themselves, that's absolutely a part of the beautiful existence that we live. Mm -hmm. There is a therapeutic aspect where it does need to be tightly controlled. and And so, as much as we need licensed social workers and PhDs to be working with the hardest of the hard cases, we also need open access to where people can go where people have that right vision. I mean, there is not a degree problem. I know that they they do exist and they are being built right now. But this is a paradigm that is a people's healing movement. And so if you have a quote-unquote grandmotherly way about you and you are able to deal and process and sit with someone, then you are qualified to be doing Psilocybin assisted therapy to a certain degree with a certain amount of training, with a certain amount of experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a guest that we had on the show, and he, he, I mean, one of his quotes is, "as As long as nature is illegal, humans will never be free." I could not agree more than that. Um, Clint, I, I want to switch gears a little bit. I mean, in the in the title for this show, I put "Clinton Awakening," and I, I want to talk about this because in my in my own personal experience this is something that i um i would say suffered from i think you would have a different perspective but yeah uh, you know i i did have a spontaneous kundalini awakening in my 20s i'm in my 30s now and so i mean it was it was it tra- it changed the trajectory of my life forever i mean i can feel it now sort of resonating in my back and i mean it opened these channels that I never even knew really existed I was just you know sort of meditating quite a bit and so this is something that you list like sort of in your bio it's a feature it's listed there so I (laughs) want to I want to cover it you know I want to cover Kundalini Um, you have a different perspective right so what you know why don't you tell us why don't you share about your perspective on Kundalini yeah thank you
1: I mean It's something that happened to me when I was 23 years old. I am 39 now. So this was something that I have lived with and moved through and and beyond. But um, I wouldn't say that it was a negative experience at all. So I was absolutely looking forward a um, awakening i had only been studying yoga and meditation for about four to six months when it happened so there are certain hacks and things that you can do to create this process and i'm more than happy to talk about that personally maybe not something that i want to broadcast no. online but um the experience itself um, as far as raising your kundalini energy through your crown chakra and, and dispelling all disbelief that you possibly had about the potential of this human experience is something that I would never give back, regardless of um, whatever else happened. So, you know, to be fair, I felt like a flower blooming in the desert, because as a, as a matter of fact, this occurred in a a strip mall in Mesa, Arizona, which is the East Valley, uh, Phoenix, which is essentially a strip mall after strip mall. And it's dusty and it's hot. And it's not exactly like the most aesthetic little beatific mountainside that you would imagine is happening. So when I looked around and I looked to my community, there was no community. Um, and, and, To be fair, um, that was my own experience, and there are people in Phoenix, and there are people that hold that that space and that have that experience. But when I was there and when that happened, I I felt very much alone, and so Mm. it was very scary. And given that I was born in a Western philosophical context in the sense of the Judeo-Christian religion— i did go through a sense of megalomania i thought like well well here we are this is enlightenment and i guess i'm like you know the the new coming which (laughs) was hilarious you know in retrospect but for about a couple weeks there i really had to deal and grapple with that and so that brings me to you know where i come at this point at the age of almost 40 looking at the teachings of Alan Watts or Ram Dass or Krishnamurti or all these beautiful teachers that are all available to us at any time um, to say, yeah, the, well, actually, that happens quite a bit. I mean, quite a bit, meaning probably less than 1% of the average population. But it, what my message and my experience is, is that it's actually quite easy. Um, and it's, it's quite a beautiful experience that anyone should have. So, I mean, feel free to Give me some feedback on that to have your experience because, you know, there are a lot of details and intricacies that I'll, I'll leave out for the sake sure. of the podcast. Sure. But.
0: I mean, I, I do my best to not make the show about me, but I mean, I'll share this story, which I, I would never think to share, you know, in a live broadcast. But for me... <laughs> I was just meditating, you know, very, very heavily, just asking really big questions. Like, why are we here? Is there a God? What happens when we die? Just meditating every single day. You know, sometimes I would come home from class and just go into my room and meditate, meditate, meditate. Every single day I did this. And I remember one day um, I was, I was, I was living at my parents' place at the time and I was walking into my bedroom and I my whole body just locked up like it was just completely locked up and I fell and luckily my bed was right there to my left and I and I fell to my left and when I hit the bed I shot out of my body like completely out of my body and I'm sort I start feeling this like sort of like I'm going up you know and I mean, I'm this sort of noob. I've I've never studied this. I had never heard the, the term kundalini before. I didn't even know what that was. So to me, I'm like losing my mind, you know, while this is happening. And as, as I'm sort of ascending, I mean, that's what was happening. I was, I was feeling this rising sensation. I'm seeing these little bubbles all around me. And I, I recognize them as my other incarnations. And... they're telling me, you know, congratulations, welcome. And above me, I see this, you know, larger sort of bubble, this higher self bubble, I guess. And, and I eventually, you know, sort of rise all the way up until I merge into the bubble. And it starts showing me these different visions. I'm seeing like this geometry in my mind. And it was bananas in my experience. And one of the things that it it showed me was i don't I, we won't go there but you know for me it was it was pretty traumatizing just because i didn't know how to process any of that and you know there was no literature online at the time there was nothing i didn't have any frame of reference of okay, like, this is what happened to you, so this is what you should look for. I just thought I was going insane. So, you know, it took me a long time just to get to a point where I understood what was going on. And, you know, so it, it, I think, you know, I meet a lot of people in my line of work and just running this show, and I think maybe I've met, you know, 11 or 12 people, not even that, that say that they, you know, their Kundalini is awake and they have had a, you know, either spontaneous or purposeful awakening.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. That's beautiful. Um, and yes, um, it is quite rare. And that is the question that I've always asked myself is that if it's so spontaneous, um, and for me, um, I wouldn't say... I mean, easy is such a catch-all phrase. Uh, I had started meditating at the age of 13, uh, under the the direction of my stepfather, and he had a guru, and I was listening to the Grateful Dead at the age of eight, so that had a huge influence. I, I joke, but... You know, uh, I had prepared myself and always looked in that realm of way things would go. And I read Autobiography of a Yogi, and that influenced me as a young man and all of these things. But what I realized was that the, the paradigm is supreme effort with ultimate release. And you can do the yoga. I mean, for instance, I was practicing kundalini yoga, which was brought to the US by Yogi Bhajan or Yogi Bhajan, um, and he came to America under death threats from the people that he essentially quote unquote stole these sacred uh, you know kriyas and or practices from to bring them to the United States. And so when I actually raised my kundalini using the set and the setting and the indoctrinate or indoctrination, the the instructions of um, this set of yoga um, it was quite alarming to me because again I had grown up in a Judeo-Christian mindset where this is not actually something that we deal with because in the way that is taught biblically um, currently in the realm of um, modern Christianity in, in America is that Jesus is pedestalized and that these types of um, experiences are not really for the common human mm-hmm. So that's why the experience immediately catapulted me into a sense of megalomania rather than into a sense of in the Eastern tradition of saying, yes, congratulations, welcome to the team, right, is something along the lines of what Alan Watts would say. So mm. my experience, in the sense, was very much along the lines of Alex Gray, Um and when i pulled my kundalini you know purposefully meditatively through my crown chakra i got to follow it it came up through each one of my chakras it sat, sat in my heart for a long time and had to work with all kinds of problems in there which which continues to this day and we can talk about that because i feel that um, psilocybin is absolutely something that is a heart opener that is something that um uh, is absolutely required for us to move forward, but I did bring it up my crown chakra and through all of the central channels through um, my third eye, and then it raised up through the, the front of my head and up through um, the top of my head and into a, a basically a beatific geometric vision of a bunch of orange and yellowed colored eyeballs, and this was mm. this is a closed-eyed vision. Um, to which, I completely at that moment stopped the process. So I did not continue and go off into samadhi or into some satori realms. I rather just opened the gate and looked inside, and as a skitterish young man with no with no concept, basically shut the door. But that has lived with me, and I have continued to develop that relationship for the last you know fifteen plus years.
0: Huh! Wow! Uh, amazing! I mean, amazing story. I. You know, I would just say, uh, for anyone listening to this, I do not recommend purposely awakening your Kundalini until you turn 50 or 60 years old. Just wait. You have time (laughs) to become enlightened. There's no rush. You don't need to run and chase that. And awakening your Kundalini will not bring you closer to that. So,
1: um... Right, so uh, that's, uh, like, let me just love, love that topic, like... Spiritual bypass, spiritual materialism, right? So, as a twenty-three-year-old, and I'm sure you're a young man as well, like it doesn't necessarily serve you if you don't have the integration. It's a lot like psilocybin-assisted therapy. You can have these peak experiences, but what you really need to do is be a good person and make sure your garbage gets taken out on time, and your bills are paid, and that you show up to work, and that you're friendly, and because that's the day-to-day life, and that is the spiritual life, like ultimately they are all in one and the same. But it absolutely is and I'll contradict you, I would say it is absolutely critical critical in in to that you do have those experiences, that you do realize that there is a higher perspective. Because otherwise you're going with the mainstream ideation of what life is without any actual perception of, of the other realms. And so does it matter? you've had that like no you shouldn't be walking around with your chip on your shoulder you shouldn't be at the age i if i was to go found an ashram at the age of 24 following that i would have been a complete mess i've been ridiculous i would have you know fallen into the traps that so many spiritual teachers have have done uh, where they have harems and royal voices and all kinds of different profiles and weird things i mean that's absolutely not what you should be doing but Creating perspective, you know, looking at the different variations of what your consciousness can be and where you can hold it and where you can be looking at life, is mm-hmm. absolutely necessary and critically necessary to what is ailing us in the modern context.
0: Hmm. I mean, let's get, let's connect it together. Let's connect the dots together a bit. How do you find that the psilocybin affects? your spiritual process and the Kundalini itself.
1: So the Kundalini is the spiritual energy of the body. It's the spiritual energy of the soul. And these are all words that don't really mean much, but it is a real, it's a realistic energy it, it does have a vibration. It feels like an electric current. Um, the, the mushrooms and things do a certain Defilterization of the mind the, the default mode network they open you up to the possibility of perceiving these mo- these energies that are constantly already flowing through your body so in conjunction yes this to my mind um in some kind of um, kung fu ancient history path mountaintop experience fantasy is where you have you are sweeping the ashram and you are learning the yoga and you're learning the kriyas and you're learning the ancient ways and the 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 tai chi and the different ways of moving energies and the modalities the final the final task is to take an entheogen be it a mushroom or something along those lines because it becomes this complete activator it causes this enzyme to your ego that allows you to see the energies that you've been cultivating this whole life and so the discipline becomes part of how you have to work with this. And this is where we come into the problems of the 60s, is that in their mindset, these things, these compounds were not illegal. I mean, absolutely, they were fully legal. This was, we had made it. We have been practicing yoga. We've realized these things. Now we've got these compounds. We are going to be a space-faring race. We are going to end all war and poverty. All we have to do is Guam onto these things, but there was no discipline. And so what you're seeing now, literally 50, 60 years later, is the maturation where it says, perhaps we have forgotten how to deal with these things, but there is a discipline that is required, absolutely required, because a human mind unleashed can be a beatific or hellacious thing to deal with.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, uh, I, I know, I know my audience. And so I just <laughs> want to say, I just want to say for anyone out there listening to this and thinking, you know, you're going to combine psilocybin and then try to have a Kundalini awakening. There's an old saying, you know, that I want to repeat to you. There's an old Buddhist saying, and it goes something like, uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. I mean it it's holds so true. Um but the you know I, I sorry? So the gateless gate. Yeah, absolutely. S- so I mean Clint, you know your work with these two things I think are so huge. I mean here you're dealing with um I mean I I guess you I mean I guess maybe your answer would be is that they're not so different. You know, they're they're one and the same.
1: Yeah, they they collaborate. And that's something that um, I've been looking... There's a synergy there. There's a synergy to spiritual evolution, and there's a synergy with entheogenic plants, and there's a synergy with the human experience and the plant experience, the fungal experience. That can be created. I mean, everyone from the last few years, and I hesitate to get into this but they have spoken that psilocybin has a voice and there is a communication that occurs in that space and so we are talking about synergies and we are talking about discipline and guidance and how do you use these things in a in a social context that is beneficial right because one thing that the 60s taught us is that you can throw a compound like LSD into the mix and it will almost completely obliterate the standards of what was, you know, conservatively progressing. Now, what we're looking at here in essentially the third wave of psychedelic revolution is, you know, a maturation of how does it, how does it bind into, how does it collaborate, how does it coalesce into, and not to be careful to bring it into a macro capitalist model of feel good and don't worry about the future right we don't want that huxley in future but what we do want is the people's version of healing recognizing the trauma and using these compounds and the disciplines of alternative medicine into something that's you know really integrated into a holistic lifestyle
0: Hmm. yeah okay i mean it's definitely an interesting perspective, and you know, I think I think some purists would say, you know, you either have kundalini or you have you know, psychedelics, but you don't mix the two, you know. And and so it's it's interesting to hear, you know, a combination of those two things, and especially since this is your profession and this is what you do, um, especially in regards to healing trauma and and working with people who are seeking to heal trauma. Um, so, Clint, we've got about 17 minutes, give or take. It, I mean, the world is in pandemonium, it seems. it there's It's so chaotic. Everyone is operating on fear. And, you know, I, I just... Is there a way we can wrap this together, this conversation, this beautiful conversation we've had? Is, is there a way that we can wrap this together somehow to those people that are listening to us tonight, right now, and... You know, something that we can offer to them in the midst of what looks like the beginning of something that is going to change our society for a very, very long time.
1: Uh, well, obviously, you're speaking about the current pandemic of the coronavirus. Um, and, you know, these things are going to happen. There was a SARS outbreak in 2003, and it seems to be escalating one of the things that um, seems to be effective is, um, you know, for boosting the immune system is medicinal mushrooms. And that's something that I've been working my entire life on, or our entire life, but it feels like such uh, for the last 10 years. So not necessarily the psilocybin mushrooms or any of those classic psychedelics, getting totally away from that, but rather boosting the human immune system through the natural um Pharmaceutical factories that are Basidio corpse uh, medicinal mushrooms.
0: You mean like lion's mane, stuff like that?
1: Yes, reishi, chaga, even something as simple as shiitake. I mean, you can buy shiitake at your, your local market, and it has some of the most immune stimulating boosting compounds that we are working with. Uh, I was working with a company recently and we were uh, having amazing results just dealing with shiitake as far as battling cancer, as far as uh, immune response and all of these things. And if you go to Japan or uh, China, these places, particularly Japan, uh, they will treat you with any kind of immunological or cancer disease particularly first and foremost with these compounds that are pharmaceutically extracted from medicinal mushrooms so we in the west in america and in europe have a lot to learn from that uh, medicinal mushroom aspect so traditional chinese medicine has brought us to that Um, there's a lot of aspects of traditional chinese medicine that we probably should let go of and as far as poaching and these different uh, aspects but clearly the realm of mycology which is its own kingdom I mean to call me a mycologist is like to call me a botanist is to say there's someone who studies plants we have a a, a complete kingdom of things that needs to be explored and um, there's absolutely a a a wealth of young mycologists that are burgeoning in North America with entrepreneurial businesses, with creating realistic medicines and extractions that you should look into. I mean, in your local area, I can almost guarantee you there's someone struggling to bring you the best medicine that the mushroom kingdom can provide. So look. At, i didn't just encourage your listeners to look into, you know, what's locally sourced, what's grown organically. There's something beautiful about the way that these exotic mushrooms and medicinal mushrooms are grown that requires the highest standards. So, yes, these young people who are working out of greenhouses and sheds can't exactly afford organic certification and all of these things, but the mushroom makes sure that you provide that or it will not grow. So a lot of times what you're getting at your local farmer's market is the best medicine you could possibly take for any type of virus, bacterial issue that you could actually bring.
0: Very nice, very nice. So is there a specific stack or um, different species that you would recommend to the listeners like the, that they can order? Uh, No, actually,
1: I'm not going to go there. Um, You know, um, I'd advise everyone to do their own due diligence. Um, There is a particular compounds and things in the fungal medicine. I'd say the freshest, the best. So go to your local farmer's market. If you're worried about coronavirus, Go to your local farmer's market, buy some lion's mace, some shiitake, some reishi, or some local tinctures and and find it online. Most of the, the people that are genuinely interested in mycology because it is a tiny, tiny field are people that are completely invested in heart and mind into producing really good medicines. If you go into the larger, um, higher name stacks and things, a lot of this is brought in from China and a lot of this is done on an industrial scale. And not to say that it's not Valid. I mean if if your only option is to go into Whole Foods or Sprouts or what have you any your local stores and get what's on The shelf, you know, that's going to serve you I absolutely believe it will serve you but know that it is only to be taken under certain conditions in the sense of You wanting to actually excite your immune system and potentially not something you want to be taking every day
0: I love that. I love that answer Um, shop locally organically it's it's the best way to go especially now and you know, Especially,
1: you're right, exactly. Let's. With, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, if if we're supposed to be staying locally, and um, and not inviting all of those things from overseas, then exactly. I mean, yeah.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit about pledge and Hive because I love the Hive Defense Fund. I I, want, I would like you to just tell us more about that, please.
1: Yeah, so the Hive Defense Fund is a soon to be nonprofit. Essentially, what it stands right now is it's an open association of concerned individuals inside the right to heal plant medicine psychedelic renaissance community. So that's a big net, but it's what I want to talk about when it comes to the Hive is that we need to have the education and the backbone to stand behind our practitioners who are actually working in a healing capacity with these medicines and there are other um, funds and organizations such as ICers or the ayahuasca defense fund that work specifically with ayahuasca and they've had several if not into the hundreds of cases of uh, persecution for their practitioners so looking at the other medicines particularly mushrooms in the united states uh, if there are people that are working for the healing aspect then we want to support them because my experience um, i've had some legal issues is that you know pretty much everyone in america doesn't want anything to do with you uh you become a 10-foot pole type person and so i've created the hive to say let's protect the community let's serve the people that are serving the people and make sure that if they do get educated and you know and if it's legitimate um, i'm not interested in supporting people that are dealing meth or heroin or any of these other compounds only plant medicines Uh, then we're going to be there to support you legally, explain to the prosecution exactly why we're happening. And and in the realm of these messages being put out on 60 Minutes, and and thank God for John Hopkins for all the beautiful things, there is a lot of traction there with people. They realize that the opioid epidemic and the meth epidemic and these things are problems. Um, I work with sheriff and law enforcement on this task, in lawyers, and they are very much pleased to have us on board in the sense of just a sober, straight education of of what is going on here in the streets. They all know that uh, psilocybin mushrooms or LSD are not the cause of these social issues. These are actually things under the right, proper set and setting and context or are, are actually working against them to make their lives better so that's essentially the mission of what the hdf stands for the higher defense fund
0: love it i love it i really truly hope you all the success in the world for what you're doing i think it's so so needed and i i think it's i mean it feels like it's in the early stages but i I feel like as things evolve and people are waking up people are waking up to the truth of what's going on around them they're waking up to the idea that western medicine has failed them completely and you know shows like this and and hopefully you get more exposure with the work that you're doing and we can bring more awareness into this field and it's no longer, I mean, places like Oakland and California have legalized, you know, anything that's plant related, including psilocybin. So why not everywhere? Why? I mean, why are we so, why is the system so archaic and why are we punishing people that are growing plants? I mean, what, it makes no sense whatsoever
1: right so the the decriminalized nature movement is um pushing forward based on decriminalized denver and decriminalized nature has brought in all the plants and they're essentially saying that same thing is that realistically the the impetus of all of this is the right to heal and so um, it's just a paradigm shift. As I say, there's a liminal period, and that's what the HDF serves, is that there is going to be a time where the public consciousness moves into the new paradigm, yet the institutions are still working. that. And we are living, hopefully, my, my prayer sincerely, is that we are living on the shoulder of the drug war and that we can get into more of a treatment-style paradigm. And I don't support any type of narcotic situations or any of those things. I I think it's deplorable and horrible, but I, I recognize as a mental health practitioner that the drug lords are not the problem. It is the traumatized children that are the problem and we need to help them first and foremost to, you know, heal what is going on and what that need to remove reality from. So the psychedelic compounds, truthfully, in my experience, wholeheartedly, are anti-drug position. They fulfill the neurotransmitters in a way they put, they positively put into those receptors without the dopaminergic effects and all of these addictive behaviors, and they can do wonders. Microdosing, macrodosing, the cognitive behavioral therapy, the talk therapy that exists after the fact, is is absolutely nothing short of revolutionary to what we can be doing so that's actually a huge threat to the current paradigm of pharmaceutical and provide and things so it's going to be a long um long journey and so that's why when i talk to people in the movement when i talk to yourself and i very much appreciate you taking the time to speak with me is that we need to have even though there's been this gigantic leap out of the gate We need to build on that, and we need to have continue to have a collaborative, 20 to 30 year effect because this is something that is absolutely transformational for the entire humanity. I mean, there's nothing that I could say that would be that I could put my 100 percent, you know, heart behind besides that. Is that this is what it is? This was a when they, you know, dropped the nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. And then we're doing all these tests, you know. That's when they discovered the mushroom in the 50s. It was at the height of the Cold War. It was all of these things. So there is this certain mentality that these entheogens have come through to suppress the dominator culture, to let us experience ourselves, to let us heal from some of the generational trauma from World War, World, you know, World War One, World War Two. I myself am a descendant of World War II veterans. And I have gone into psilocybin-assisted therapy sessions where I've expressly experienced that actual connection and the reasons of why I'm addicted to alcohol or nicotine or these certain variations of my personal problems. So I don't claim sainthood. I don't claim spiritual materialism. Activating my leaning was part of the process for me to become A person who found freedom and then turn that freedom into service and so service without freedom is slavery right Mm. so get to a point of freedom and I would tell you it's like a peak it's like when you jump out of a rock you know I don't know you jump up into this uh, complete stall right you're just going straight up in a rocket you feel ultimate freedom the next thought that hits you is service as you as you we, you know, um, bring yourself back into what it is that you are here to do.
0: Let me let me let's expound on that a little bit. I want to ask you just because you opened a new thread there. I don't want to leave it at that. What do you mean? I mean, by freedom, like you, you mean this inner sense of freedom that you feel within yourself or what do you mean by that?
1: yeah i mean i think a lot of us work inside of uh, freedom concepts and there's uh, emotional freedom there's financial freedom there's all these things the sense of freedom is different for everyone but for me the personal experience of evolution of going through spiritual evolution has been a focus on freedom i mean that's always been my drive was Why is this pain so, so vibrant for me? Or why is, do I feel oppressed in this way? And if I could just be free from that, then I would be able to decide a different path. And my own experience is that when I did achieve that freedom, the first thing I wanted to do was turn around and provide service. So maybe I'm repeating myself, but I think it's individual.
0: Okay. All right. Um, Clint, I mean, I love this conversation. Is is there is there something that we should have covered? Something that I should have asked you about that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to talk about tonight? Um, no, I mean, this has been
1: wonderful, and I hope that I haven't been too rambly with you. No, not um, at all. I, I think so. when we're t- when we're talking about um, plant medicine and the psychedelic renaissance, let's one thing that I w- have been Contemplating is the role that psychedelics have played in all of these traditional movements from the 60s forward. So if you're talking about civil rights movement, the LGBTQ movement, environmentalism, the anti-war, feminism, I question whether or not um, there hasn't been some entheogenic presence in all of those movements in that level of awareness. And I don't want to go to the stake on that one per se, but I think that it's time for the psychedelic plants to be you know, liberated, to be decriminalized, to allow people to heal, and that uh, the dominator culture that has come across you know, crossed oceans and continents to be here has found the backboard in the mountains of central Mexico, in the jungles of Peru, and in the new world of these psychedelic compounds that say, hey, Let's turn around. Let's push back. Let's give back. Let's create a more collaborative, incorporating, um, you know, beatific world.
0: Clint, what a conversation. This was amazing. I, I loved it. I love your words. I love the the warmness in your voice. I love your beard. I love what you're doing. Where can people find your work? Where can people go to find out more about Um, Hive, the defense fund how can people find Pledge how can people find out more about what you're doing
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, go to Pledge.org, check out what we're doing, Um, consider donating, consider applying, get in contact with us. We really are in a building stage of building a new paradigm for psychedelic assisted therapy, which is inclusive and provides access and ongoing holistic integration into the whole thing. So, we're looking at the larger paradigm and we want to build that. So, yes. Also, um, HiveDefense.fund is my own personal category. You can read about me, you can read about people like William Leonard Picard, who is providing amazing uh, authorship and potentially life-changing compounds depending on your um, perspective. Um, and other things and people that we are supporting so if you want to get behind people that are supporting their First Amendment rights Their rights to heal people that are really working on that. We'd love your support and to hear from you and uh, We're looking to build teams and all of this stuff is just as we go we are putting one step in front of the other because this is a brand new paradigm not that it hasn't been building for 50 years but the the floodgates are open, so thank you for the opportunity to share the message with you, Xavier. And
0: uh, it's been a wonderful evening. Perfect, friends. You hear heard it here first. I mean, this—if you feel passionate about this, I mean, this is definitely where you need to go to get involved. Especially if you connect with, you know, what Clint is saying and and psychedelic medicine. I really think those are a couple different avenues that you can go down and you know lend yourself to service if that is the direction that you want to go but thank you guys so much for listening I know we took a week off there was some personal stuff that I was dealing with but we're, we're back we got there's an amazing show next week uh, with Richard Hoagland that I'm really looking forward to so don't bite the hype with the coronavirus don't bite into the fear so much and thank you guys so much for listening and being part of the show I really appreciate each and every one of you good night